When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having a terrible week? Well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Jacob Redmond. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Zach. Uh, you know, we're doing a late night record, or at least a little bit later than normal. These typically go off the rails, so we'll have to see where this one goes. Uh, I don't have any, you know, planned crazy stories, but that's how—that's never how it starts. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Hopefully this isn't too tangent heavy. We both have bedtime soon, so. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's for sure true. But, you know, if uh, if craziness calls on me, I'm not one to turn down the call, so I'll be right here if... Uh, if I'm asked to serve crazy. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing, Zach? I'm doing pretty good. Just went, just came back from the grocery store. Nothing too fancy schmancy. Cracked my phone nice. in the grocery store further. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. no, that's not good at all. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I got to get a new phone anyways, because I didn't buy a case for this. And like the first day I got it, I pretty much cracked it. So, yeah, that is too bad. Would you like to know the worst thing that happened to me this week by like, and like, times a hundred. It was the worst thing by so much. Sure. So I was leaving work. And so I work in like a a tall building. So obviously I take an elevator to get up and I was getting out my AirPods in order to like, you know, listen to music as I was on my commute home and my AirPods fell in the elevator. So it fell between the elevator and the car, like the, like the rest of the car, but it fell to where like I could still get it. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's really bad. Like it almost fell. Oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and just grab them uh, and just go on with my day. So I reached down to grab them. And as I grabbed them, I touched the AirPod case and it falls down 43 flights of stairs because the way I pushed it had it just like slip slightly and out of my grasp. Um, so there you go. They're, they're gone. <laughs> I had to go get another pair because there's no way to recover them. They fell so far. So you lost. So your AirPods were in the case, and you lost the AirPods too, right? Well, I st- I have a rogue left AirPod. So I had because I was like in the process of getting my two AirPods out. So I had my left one in my hand. I was getting my right one out, and that's when it fell. So I have a left AirPod, no case, no uh, no way home. So if anyone needs a left AirPod, hit me up. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be receiving a lot of offers for the left AirPod, but damn, the story was real for you, man. I feel kind of bad. Yeah, it really, it really, it really was quite sad. So whatever, that's all right. You know, if that's the worst thing that happened to me this week, my week wasn't too bad. Not bad, not bad. A lot of bad things were happening to people in this episode of Avatar too that we'll get into. That is certainly true. I think, yeah, I think the people this week were much worse off than me. You know, like. An entire temple gets destroyed. People, like some children almost die. Like, uh, you know, people almost commit murder. Like things are much worse than AirPod cases. True. I'll be honest. 
I completely did not remember the first half of this episode. I don't know if I maybe I skipped it on the last part of my rewatch or the last rewatch I did. Maybe I skipped this episode completely. But I remember like Katara confronting Yan Ra. But the rest of the episode, I did not recall Azula coming in and launching this like attack on them. And this battle to start off the episode is completely and I did not remember it at all. Yeah, I knew that some sort of battle happened. Like I remembered like the, um, you know, the. Azula like clawing her way from like falling with her uh, hair pit, so, mind you. That was crazy. Yeah, um, very unrealistic, honestly. <laughs> True. Uh, totally destroyed the realism of, of Avatar. <laughs> like, really, just quite sad. Eh, uh, Avatar's no, like, not that realistic, though. To be fair, I mean, you got Zuko making like twenty foot leaps, which he made another one this episode too. So we got okay. Zuko just jumping out the gym. So I don't know how yeah. realistic Avatar always is, but. Yeah, he really outdoes himself this jump. I think this might be his most impressive jump to date. It's like insane the amount of hops that he's able to get on this one. But um, anyway, yeah, I think like uh, I didn't really remember that this was associated with this episode. It was kind of a nice surprise because like, you know, the last part of the episode really flies by. And so to have something else uh, at the beginning, I think is is solid. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think this is another episode just like last week where I would have told you like, oh, this is like a 3.9 or a four, uh, like going into this, but upon rewatching it, I'm, I'm not giving it as high of a grade as I would have. Hmm. I don't know. I'm higher on this episode than I am last week's episode. I think you really, really, they paint a beautiful picture of Katara's like anguish and grief. So I enjoyed yeah. this episode more than the, the Boiling Rock, which I don't think I would have said prior to this like doing this podcast if you told a gun to my head i would have been like oh yeah boiling rock is better than the southern raiders but now i'm kind of contemplating the other other way so yeah well let's get into it i mean maybe uh going through it we'll see that we've changed our mind somehow yeah. uh like we like we're want to do mm-hmm. um anyway so we uh we start off uh and gets very lucky i'm not really sure why they wake up uh, but Aang like happens to wake up just in the nick of time. Usually it's Toph that is able to save them, but Aang wakes up as a bomb is being sent his way. And he like, uh, you know, uses airbending to get out of the way, causing everyone else to wake up. Cause you know, explosions can do that. Uh, and like really <laughs> just so lucky, like really quite, quite fortunate that Aang was just like happened to get up at that time. You think Aang has like an airbender sense the way Toph has like an earth sense where she can like sense stuff on the ground and then Aang can just sense it coming from the air? That's just my head headcanon. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but... <laughs> yeah, could be. I mean, otherwise it doesn't make a ton of sense what happened. I think maybe the other thing that could have happened is just like it was kind of bright out. Like maybe Azula should have struck like an hour earlier before the sun got up, but <laughs> I don't know. Like it was close. It's a close call for the gang here. Um, I, actually the whole time was pretty a close, like it was a pretty much a close call here. The, the Fire Nation airships, uh, led by Azula have all of these bombs and they really are sending just so many bombs at this temple. This temple's like barely hanging on by a thread. I mean, literally hanging on to the rock face. And so to have these bombs was, was quite intense. Yeah, true. This made for a very intense first part of the episode. And like I said, I didn't remember this battle at all. So then when it started happening, I was like, oh, crap, like we're really starting balls to the wall here right away. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty intense uh, battle for sure. I I think that there's like some pretty cool parts of this battle as well. So I I appreciated that. 
Um, anyway, so as they're like going around uh, at the start of the fight, we see Zuko uh, like push Katara out of the way of some falling rocks. As he does so, he like ends up uh, laying on top of her, and she's like really, really upset at him. I, I don't like you know whatever. He lingered a little bit, like there was a little bit of lingering. However, Katara did not need to be so upset. No, and he just saved her life. Like, come on. I don't know. Yeah. Zuko's like, ever since Zuko has rejoined the gang, he's been like nothing but nice to Katara. But Katara, prior to the end of this episode, is unable to reciprocate that. And it just like spends a lot of time just crapping on poor old Zuko here. Yeah, and Zuko really is doing like a lot of work here to try to help out. Like he really takes initiative here. Uh, he essentially tells everyone like, hey, everyone go away. Like I'm going to take on the rest of the ships. And he does a pretty good job. Like he really does step up and he does put himself at risk. Uh, so I was pretty impressed here. Uh, as Azula comes up on the ship, though, she says a line which really made me laugh quite hard. She said that she's uh, celebrating becoming an only child as she like tries to blast him with firebending. And I just think that's so funny that she like comes in with the sole purpose, like, oh, I'm going to become an only child today. <laughs> yeah, you could tell uh, Azula is a little unhinged here. You could tell she's still feeling the effects of like May and Tylee turning on her. So she's even mm. like more sadistic than usual, I feel like. No, that is that is definitely true. I think like, uh, you know, in the finale, she really has quite the downfall. But you can even see right here that like she's 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 losing her grip uh, yeah. on reality. Yeah. She's going a little bit crazy. Um, one thing that I think is really funny. So maybe this is actually bad to admit. Whenever I was younger, me and my sister would argue on who's going to die first, uh, like all the time. So like, so like, uh, she's, uh, like my sister, obviously. So like, uh, a woman's life expectancy is longer than a man's, uh, like statistically. So like, you know, nothing about the, like, uh, you know, us as individuals, but also she's left-handed which for some reason left-handed people have a lower life expectancy than right-handed people. And we get in arguments all the time over which effect was stronger. Um, so anyway, I really, I really appreciated Azula trying to say she's going to be an only child here. That's been my <laughs> goal since I was like eight. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully you don't become an only child anytime soon. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no. The the goal is just like to outlive Grace when I'm like 89 and she's like 85 and like dies uh, a nice peaceful death or something like that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And then you'll be at her funeral being like, aha, I won. I'll be gloating. Although I have two younger siblings now who are six and five. And like, I'm really I'm I'm going to have to get in real good shape and be real healthy if I'm going to outlive them. Yeah, yeah, true. I don't, I don't know if I'm outliving my brother. He's way healthier than I am. So I'm just, I Dang. lost that battle. I'm pretty sure I'll die before him. Oh well. Oh well. He'll be gloating at your funeral, Zach. Yeah, yeah, he will. <laughs> um, anyway, so they're trying to get away, and Appa here is really being the sticky wicket. Appa is not going to go into the tunnel, even though the entire place is about to go down. Uh, they're not going to be able to convince Appa to go into it in closed space. Uh, so instead, what they're going to get is they're going to get a ton of the group to go and split up here. I don't really get why they don't have everyone fly on Appa's back, because they have Sokka, Aang, Katara, Toph, Suki, Zuko, uh, Appa, and Momo all on Appa's back. It's quite a lot. Yeah, but could Appa fit everyone? I don't think he could. I mean, look at Chit Sang. He's a pretty heavy set guy. I don't know how, if he's fitting on the saddle with that many people. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, but even like they didn't even take all the kids. So like, like let's just imagine the group that's left. So it's Chick Chitsang, um, it's like Hakoda, the um, Duke, the Duke Haru, uh, and then what's the inventor's kid's name? Oh, I forget. Teo? I should know this. Teo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Teo. Good, uh, good job. Good like, job. what? Like, what are they? What are they getting up to, Zach? I don't know. I think, to be honest, between you and me, this is just like an excuse for the writers to like separate the main characters and the non-main characters. That's what I thought personally when I saw this. So you're right. It might not make the most sense, but from a storytelling perspective, maybe it was just easier for the writers to just separate everybody prior to the finale. And this was the most convenient way for them to do it. I mean, I definitely agree with that because like we get all the people that I actually care about uh, on Appa's back. It is just like a little bit weird that like, I don't know. It just seems inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty inconsistent that they just like abandon them pretty much and just like leave them to fend yeah. for themselves in a way. So I know what you mean. Yeah. It would have been really funny if you had all the people I mentioned were on Oppa's back plus shit saying just like keeps going with them. He's just like <laughs> chilling, like doesn't have space for the dad, like, uh, you know, Hakoda, but we got space for shit saying. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Just shit saying as part of the group group. Yeah. He's in the inner circle now. <laughs> nice. Um, so what happens next here? Then Zuka and Azula, this is when they like, so they start battling on the ship and they trade like big fire bending hooks and both slide off the airship. And then we get a little Deus Ex Machina here where like Zuko falls off and then just ends up landing on a ship beneath another one. Or does that happen earlier? I think that happens earlier because, yeah, it is, like, really surprising. Um, you know, Azula had already knocked Zuko off. Yes. Uh, then Zuko yes. comes, like, on some random other ship, just, like, totally fine. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Zach, there's, like, this huge explosion that Zuko and Azula have when they're firebending, uh, like, matches. They, there's, like, a massive explosion. It sends both of them, like, flying back very quickly. I don't know what Fire Nation ships are made of, but this ship is unscathed, and that needs to be noticed. <laughs> I did not notice that, but you're right. These Fire Nation ships, whatever the mechanists like, whatever was in his blueprints, whatever metal they use, is just impervious to any explosion, apparently. Because it's like a gigantic explosion that comes, and like it sends Zuko and Azula like flying back like extremely quickly. It does not matter. The ship is totally fine. Um, you think anyway, it's a ship yeah. flame retardant? Like it does it not use any? Um, does it not re- it does it not react to fire? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's what it is, but even if it is flame retardant, I feel like just the explosion should have messed it up somehow, but who knows? Uh Zuko's able to make it onto Appa's back. We see Azula like seeming to to go like uh falling to her death. Zuko even makes a comment about like uh oh, you know, like Azula's not going to make it. But boom, hairpins uh, coming in handy. <laughs> yeah, she so Azula fire boosts to a cliff wall, then takes out her hairpin and uses that to slide down the wall, stopping her momentum. So her hairpin came in clutch like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> uh, yeah, very true. You know, I uh, I think most people that I know don't use like hairpins; they use the like elastics. And now I think I need to go around and tell everyone, like, no, use a hairpin. Like, it can save your life. Yeah, no, that's facts. I use bobby pins in my hair sometimes, and um, I don't think that'll save my life anytime soon, sadly. They're too weak and flimsy. 
I mean, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you need like a, an industrial strength hairpin made out of whatever <laughs> the ships are made out of. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, that would be dope. Yeah. Anyway, so the team goes to some random beach. Uh, Aang says something like, oh, this is just like old times. And Zuko's like, oh, I can chase you around and try to capture you. Everyone laughs. And Katara gives such a no-sell, which is kind of rude because this is an objectively funny joke. Yeah, I thought this was pretty funny, but Katara just like, ha, ha, which is what I do to people, too. I'll just be like, ha, ha hilarious when I don't find something funny. So <laughs> I could relate to Katara in this moment, too. So, I mean, it's a good way to shut someone down. Just like the ha, ha, ha. Like, that's great. Um, I think the thing that, like, I've seen that, like, shuts people down the most is uh, one of my friends. If you tell them a story that you've already told them before, they'll put a finger up for how many times you've told them the story. So like if if you like say a story that you've said multiple times, they'll just be like like hold up the three the whole time and you're like, what is that for? And they're like, Oh, uh, that's how many times you told me this. Damn, just like, that's that genius. Just, it just deflates people so much. See, I don't know if I'm like this on the podcast, but I'm pretty repetitive with my stories IRL in real life. So I, I, if I was friends with your homie, he'd probably be like putting up like 10, like probably putting up like both ads, like with how repetitive Legitimately, I am. Th- there are some, there are some people who for some reason just like cannot remember certain stories they've told. And I, there are times where I need more fingers and more toes because like even that is not sufficient for the amount of times I've been told something, but. Hey, what what can you do? Um, True. Anyway, the haha is a pretty brutal way to shut down conversation. Sokka doesn't seem very perturbed by this. He decides uh, that he's just gonna toast Zuko for for saving the day, being the MVP again. Katara just decides that she wants to be in a really bad mood. Everyone else is excited and like gives some sort of like congratulations. Katara's just like, no, just I'm just gonna sit here, be a little grump. Yeah, and I think Zuko words it well later on in the episode, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, where he's like, Katara has somehow tied the grief towards her mother dying to her anger at Zuko, and those feelings are kind of intertwined. So every time she sees Zuko as as of now, she just reminded of her mother's death. So she's struggling with a lot of complex emotions here. So I do feel bad for grumpy Katara in this moment in time. Yeah, she even makes a good point. So she storms off. Zuko goes to chase her. And she makes a point saying, like, uh, Zuko's like, why does why do you not trust me? And she's like, well, I trusted you before anyone else. And you betrayed us in, like, mm-hmm. season two finale. So, like, if I couldn't trust you last season, why do you expect me to trust you this season? Like, what have you done to regain my trust? Um, which is a good point. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and then she says, Zuko's like, okay, what can I do to make it up for you? She says, either you can reconquer bossing say, or you can bring my mother back. It's just like one of those tasks is a lot harder. <laughs> and well, one of them is not, literally like, impossible. <laughs> yeah. Like shockingly, the harder task is not to take over a city. That's like notoriously hard to take over. It's like the, you know, bringing someone back from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, I watched an yeah. anime where the plot, main plot is these two kids trying to bring back their mother with alchemy. And it, spoiler alert, it did not turn out well for those kids. So bringing relatives back they, from the dead is just not not a thing, sadly. Okay, well, I saw the movie Onward, the Pixar okay. movie. Okay. And the plot of that is that they want to bring their dad back. And actually, hilarity ensues and everyone has a great time and learns a lot. So <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm two sides to the coin. Movie. I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah. All right. And I never really? really see too much hoopla about it either. I feel like nobody talks about it. The Pixar film onward, right? Man, that's a good one. And like, okay, I cry a lot. So like, I'm sure that, uh, that like, you know, everyone doesn't cry during this movie, but it's an emotional one. You got to strap in for onward. All right. Well, how about we go onward and continue this podcast with some avatar hey. talk. Hey. Look at that. Segway King Zach here. That was a good one. Learn from Jacob. Uh, That was was even better than I could have done. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so we go uh, now to what I think has to be the most uncomfortable part of the episode. I agree. Honestly, this made me very, very uncomfortable watching it. We'll get into it, but it was just very odd. So do you want to start us off here and relay what happens sure so zuko okay zuko has this meeting with katara so now zuko's like great you know i met with katara blah 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 time to go meet with uh you know my good buddy sokka so i can talk about this on his way to meet with sokka uh he bumps into suki and you know suki's going to visit sokka great but she's just so awkward about it that it really just makes me kind of uncomfortable because she's like, oops, wrong tent. And then, like, she does a classic thing when, like, you're trying to pretend like it wasn't you. You're like, ah, oh, no, couldn't be me. Like, I'd mm-hmm. never do that. Um, which, you know, I actually do many times, but not when things are like this. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just felt very uncomfortable by this. And that's just the first part. Because then Zuko goes in the tent and we get something way worse. Uh, you know, Zuko has candles. He's got roses. He's laying there. He's trying to be a beefcake. And I was just... I was quite uncomfortable. Yeah, Sock is sitting in what he must think is a seductive pose with like laying down, feet in the air with a rose in his mouth. And also, now this is a children's show, but like, we're Sock and Suki about to do it here? Like, what the hell is going on? Um, you know, you know, I think they might have, Zach. I don't know what to tell <laughs> you, but I mean, you I'm made a good point about. Thinking. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, oh, but that's what I was thinking this whole time. Is like, what the heck? Like, are they or were they about to do it? So continue what you were saying. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned his pose, and you mentioned that his feet are up in the air. There's a lot of feet for a sexy pose. Like, I don't know what kind of pose that he was doing, but I feel like most sexy poses are not, like, foot-prominent poses. True. This isn't a Tarantino film, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that's very true. I don't really know like what, a, what a sexy pose would be. Uh, I think it's like, I can tell you a bunch of poses that are definitely not sexy poses, but I'm not really sure I know a few that are. Yeah. I don't know. Sokka, his pose was kind of like, almost like a paint me like one of your French girls poses from Titanic. It was kind of in that same vein, but Sokka was not pulling it off. I'll be honest. Also, Sokka's got a weird hairstyle this episode too from when they're half asleep. He's just an interesting hairstyle. It's like a part in the middle and then longer on each side. So, Yeah, and it, and it got longer like pretty recently because it usually is, you know, like tied up in a like pretty formal way. And mm-hmm. here it's just kind of let himself go a little bit. It kind of looked like my, my hair during the pandemic, just like very long and just like not any style. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't make fun of him too much. My hair looked pretty rough back then. Damn, self-deprecating Jake about here. I thought your hair looked okay during the pandemic. Didn't look that terrible. No, because I wore a hat all all the times <laughs> you saw me. 
<laughs> true, true. That's Literally, true. my hair is so long that it was like to my chin, like the in the front. It was so long that it went down to my chin. It was, Damn, it was that's a bad, crazy. Bad look. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really gross. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he okay. Sokka does a decent job, I guess, about covering it up. He does better than Suki, but still pretty rough. Uh, and he's able, like, pretty quickly transition to, uh, to like, whatever, talking to Zuko. Zuko mm-hmm. does not care. Zuko, like, is on a mission. He does not make a single mention about what he saw. He just goes straight for it, and he says, like, hey, um, you know, I think I know why your sister's upset with me. Uh, I want you to tell me what happened to your mom. Uh, you know, he wants to set this up a little bit. Um, so, you know. He wants to get the information. Sokka's the source. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, good stuff from Zuko, I feel like, trying to find the source of Katara's anger towards him and learning what happened to their mother. But then I feel like mm-hmm. later on in the next scene, he goes on to like enable some of Katara's negative emotions just so he can get closer to Katara in a way. We'll get more into that, though, with Aang's little speech. Yeah, no, no, I think that is true, especially because, like, that is kind of, like, Zuko's path, I guess, has been to, like, take take the more, like, emotionally, uh, not stunted, but, like, the easier path emotionally rather than, like, actually grappling with the issue at hand. Like, he's not dealing with the root cause, he deals with the emotions that he feels. So it makes yeah. sense from Zuko's character, but anyway, you want to set up the flashback uh, that, that Sokka tells here? Sure, so... We get the flashback. It's him and Katara's kids playing in the snow of the South Pole. The black snow starts to fall that we've been so accustomed to. And we see a raid commence and the battle starts. And then Sokka explains that they were able to fight them off. but he And he was so relieved that they did. But when the battle was over, he didn't realize he had lost his mother already. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we learn from this scene. And then Zuko goes on to question him if he remembers anything else about the raid or about the Fire Nation soldiers who came and raided. And then Sokka says he remembers that their ships had sea ravens on their flags. Yes, uh, I thought a few funny things happen in this scene. The first is that whenever they start invading all of the fire nation warriors just start screaming like at the start, they're just like, ah, like that's how they, they start each fight is just like one coordinated scream. Um, I feel like that's common you know? in war films though. I feel like you see yeah, that but it's like, like in so hard, coordinated. Like yelling. Yeah. But it's not, it's not like it's like choreographed though. It's more of like a free form yell. Yeah, that's true. You might have a point. This was a little choreographed. I guess all the voice actors in studio were just doing it at the exact same time. Exactly. Okay, but the second thing, and what's way more ridiculous, is, okay, Sokka, Katara, live in the Southern Water Tribe. The Southern Raiders are the ones who ended up raiding them. Did did Zuko even need to ask? Like, he asked Sokka. He's like, hey, what was the symbol on the ship? It's like, oh, the Southern Raiders from the Southern Pole. Like, what did you think it was going to, like, what, what do you think, who was there? I don't get it. <laughs> True. Maybe it could have been the Northern Raiders making an expedition down south, but you're right. Their name is very on the nose. That's another thing I didn't think of. That's why I'm glad to have you here, Jacob, to think of these, like, intelligent people things. Because you're right. Southern well, Raiders, it's so on the nose. Well, how could Zuko uh, not yeah, figure you, it out? Yeah, you really, you would have hoped that Zuko would have been able to figure it out just from, like, the South Pole alone. 
but I'm glad, you know, I'm pointing out the important things here. Maddie G really one up to me last week, uh, pointing out some great things that I had no idea about. So I feel like I had to reclaim the throne. I watched this week's episode for the details, uh, trying to, trying to, you know, impress the people out here. No, you're doing a great job. Unlike Sokka here, who is so unbelievably horny, he shoes Zuko out of the room and then starts calling for Suki while Zuko is still within earshot. <laughs> and this is right after, like I said, telling a story about his mom. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like weird. It's I don't know. It's a little this scene, whole scene just made me uncomfortable, quite frankly. Yeah, you would have hoped that he was like. Uh, I don't know, taken out of the moment a little bit from talking about his mom going missing. Uh, but no, completely undeterred. Sokka knows what he wants. Uh, you would think <laughs> that Sokka and Suki would have a more discreet way to communicate with each other because like, they are both very smart people. They're both like tactician types. And instead, like their only way to communicate is to go to the tent or for Sokka to just scream out like Suki's name. It's like, or I guess whisper, yell it, but still like to call for Suki, like by name. I just feel like, I don't know. It's, I expect more from them. Yeah, true. It's like the opposite of subtle with how not subtle it is pretty much. But what can you do? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the next day we get Katara, uh, coming out of her tent. Zuko's just chilling. Uh, I don't know why he decided to wait outside of Katara's tent, uh, but he just decided to wait outside of the tent the whole night. Again, it doesn't make sense. They live in a very small campsite. Like He could have just waited until he woke up and then walked over to see Katara, uh, but I guess he's trying to make a point here. I don't know. Is there any reason why he'd need to wait outside of her tent? No, I have it in my notes. Like, was this really necessary? Like, why is Zuko doing this? And you're you're absolutely right. He could have just slept. I don't know what's with Zuko and like having a healthy night's sleep, but he just loves these like night excursions. Maybe Zuko is just a midnight owl. Who knows? That's a good point. Yeah, he's he's oftentimes awake very late at night. Um, yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. I don't know when this man sleeps, but. Uh, he must be exhausted. Yeah, but to your point, it absolutely was not necessary for him to wait out her tent all night. He could have just like woken up with everybody else and then talked to her. Exactly, exactly. Uh, anyway, we then go to Aang. Aang is, you know, doing some chores, feeding Appa and whatnot. Um, we have Sokka, like, I, I don't remember what he was doing. I have in my notes that he was like playing with a flower or something in the background, which I like yeah he was i remember that he was like sitting with like this like colorful flower that was like almost like a wreath in a way it was like a circular flower thing and he was just playing with it i mean he's definitely like making something for suki so it's nice i guess um anyway katara walks up to ang uh while the chores are going on and says i need to borrow appa uh ang makes the joke uh, and is like hey you know are you gonna go on your field trip with zuko and katara's like yup that's it (laughs) Yeah, she kind of like no sells this joke too. And she's like, yep, I am going on a mission with Zuko. She's like very still in a serious, intense mode about herself. Well, see, unlike Sokka, talking about her mom going missing actually brings emotions in her uh, (laughs) and makes her like change her behavior. Like Sokka does not care. Uh, Katara Katara cares a little bit here. Yep, yep. Uh, No, you're spitting facts right now. True. Yeah, well, the other person spitting facts here is Aang, who really is pushing back on things in a very mature way. Uh, you know, they say the plan is to go find the person that killed their mom, or, or Katara's mom, and Aang's like, what do you think this is going to accomplish? 
And Katara doesn't even give an answer here. I think this is kind of an omission from Katara that she knows that this is not the right call because Aang says, like, what is this going to accomplish? And Katara's like, you just don't get it. And it's like, okay, well then tell him. Like, what is it? Like, I don't know. Tell us. Inform us, please. Yeah, Aang here, it's like, it's been a minute since we've seen this side of Aang, like this mature, calm, composed voice of reason. So, yeah, this is a great side of Aang that we love to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, and and he's able to, like, make a real connection uh, between her. Like, Katara, like, kind of brushes him off saying, like, oh, no, you just don't get it. And Aang's like, no, I, I do get it. Like, you know, the sandbenders made me feel really upset. Like, my entire people were wiped out. Like, I, I understand this more than most. Um, and again, no one really gives Aang a solid explanation. They're just saying, like, you know, people don't understand. Like, people just don't get it. Like, people just don't like understand closure and it's like no like like, you're just missing stuff like you're just you're missing the point here yeah no you're you're absolutely right and then like zuko retorts like oh she needs this for closure and justice and ang disagrees rightfully so and he's like no this is about getting revenge is the what exactly is happening here and then ang says like katara sounds like jet which is also true like katara is so she's so one track minded here she can only focus on the man who killed her mom she doesn't realize like letting it go will ultimately be the healthier path for her going forward indeed Indeed. Uh, and then I think the most offensive thing that's said in this conversation is Sokka pipes up and says something about like, oh, I think Aang might be right. And Katara says, oh, well, you just didn't love mom the way that I did. And it's like, I think that's a line. I think you crossed a line there. Like, let's let's not bring that one up, Katara. Uh, that's got to be a touchy subject. Yeah, that's probably one of the most like savage lines in the whole series for lack of a better term not necessarily savage mm-hmm. but one of the most like i don't know messed up lines to say to anybody in the whole series that he didn't love her their mother the way she does like of course he does so it's pretty but yeah. at the same time katara is just really struggling with like this anguish and grief so she's lashing out at both ang and soccer here so sucks yeah. to see um yeah, you really don't want to be on Katara's bad side, or not even her bad side, just like not agreeing with her here because she really is like pretty dead set on doing this. And gives her some advice and like really does try to say, like, hey, this is what I believe is best. Katara does not care. Uh, Katara makes it very clear that this is what she wants. Um, they eventually, like, she eventually walks away after a longer conversation. Uh, then she decides to go back later that day. Uh, dressed in like all black, trying to make it seem like she's trying to sneak away. Uh, and Aang is watching her and it's like, hey, so you're just going to like take Appa? And Katara's like, yup. That doesn't even apologize. Does like just so, so upfront. Yeah, she's so blunt in this moment and to the point. I was like, damn, Katara, you're not even going to apologize for taking old, poor old Appa away on your little mission here? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Aang does a funny thing where he's like, Oh, you know, it's fine. You're going to take up. Uh, you know, I forgive you. Uh, hey, uh, forgiving. Huh? Funny. Uh, give you any ideas? <laughs> um, anyway, I think that was, uh, that was funny. Uh, Aang gives some advice saying like, Hey, like I get it. You're definitely going to go. You're going to face the person that killed your mom. Just don't pick revenge when it comes to it. Try to forgive him. Uh, I really think that this is a great path from Aang. Aang, I think in an earlier season might like, you know, try to like make his point. He wouldn't give up here. He gives advice. He tries to get the best thing done. Ultimately, when he sees it's not going to work out, 
he just says, okay, just keep this in mind. Just keep it yeah. in your back pocket. Yeah, Aang, like, is the voice of reason here, and then he just takes a laissez-faire, hands-off approach and decides to let Katara mm-hmm. learn the lesson on her own, which she ends up doing. And yeah. it's very sage advice from Aang here, the youngest of the cast, I'm pretty sure, so. Yeah, no, de- definitely uh, really good advice. Uh, Sokka even says so. Sokka says, like, yeah, you're a pretty wise kid. Uh, and then Sokka asked to borrow Momo. Zach, can you tell me a few of the things that Sokka might want to do with Momo? Hmm, go forward from for food with one another because they're both <laughs> voracious eaters. That is fair. Although I have to imagine that if, uh, you know, Sokka and Momo are looking for food, whoever gets to it first is eating the whole lot. <laughs> yeah, you're spitting facts right there. Uh, uh, what else would they be doing together? I don't know. I don't know why Sokka even wants Momo. He just saw Katara Barapa and was like, hmm, maybe I can do something with this. Yeah, I, I think maybe he would coordinate a dance, uh, something like that. You know, we know Momo's like a, a quite a good dancer, so maybe maybe there's some song and dance routine they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, we. I, I guess we don't even see what happens uh, if he ends up barring Momo, but I would love to have seen the finished product there. Um, anyway, the next thing that we get is Zuko and Katara are on Appa. Uh, Zuko explains that they need to go to the Fire Nation Communication Tower, or the Fire Navy Communication Tower, where all of the ships are coordinated by Messenger Hawk, so they know where it's going. Uh, this makes a lot of sense that they have this. It's also extremely convenient for this, this, like, episode. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on, on, like, this existing, except that it's, like, very convenient for it to exist. Yeah, makes sense. I thought it was quite convenient as well. I don't know. Like you, I don't have much else to add about the Fire Nation Navy communication towers. But one thing that's cool is so they sneak into the tower and then they both hide in like a sewer type thing. And then they see a guard uh, writing in ink. And then what Katara is able to do, she's able to bend the ink. And for some reason in my like stupid brain, I forgot ink had even water in it. So I was like, how is Katara able to bend this initially? But then I was like, oh yeah, ink <laughs> is like a liquid. So she's able to bend the ink onto the guard's hand and then the guard has to leave the room and they're able to dive in and grab what they need. Yeah, it was it was pretty creative. Um, you know, I think there are other ways that they could have distracted him, but I did like seeing this uh, like pretty brutal efficiency from Katara and Zuko. Like the way they go in is very efficient. They sneak very quickly. Uh, they really cut to the chase here. I mean, we don't get a ton of this. Um, and then, so they find the Southern Raiders, they go to Whaletail Island, uh, and then they're going to like go off to, you know, track down the Southern Raiders as well. When they do that, like fight into the Southern Raiders, uh, like ship, they are full efficiency. I mean, this is one of the quickest fights that we see. Yeah, Katara just straight up dominates like Shaq in his prime. She just, (laughs) she's, I don't know why I keep referencing that Lakers team. I'm not even a Lakers fan, but, um, yeah, she just decimates the firebenders on the ship. She just takes out like 10 at one point with like a huge wave and just gets them all in the water. I'm pretty sure Zuko only takes out like one soldier in that time, whereas Katara just takes down everybody and then fight and then blood bends the leader. Yeah, yeah. You know, Zuko's just there to help out. Uh, Zuko's just there to make sure they're like on the right track. But uh, no, like uh, Zuko, Zuko's not needed. Like when Katara is like on full tilt, like she's just going to be able to do whatever she wants. So, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Before we get too far ahead, so while they're flying to Whale Tail Island, uh, Zuko tells Katara to like get some rest, and then like Katara says she's fine. And then when they say that, we see the raid from like Katara's perspective. So then she like she goes to her house, and her mom is being accosted by this Fire Nation soldier. And then Kaya, Katara's mother, tells the soldier to let her go in exchange for the info he let Katara go in exchange for the information he wants. And like Katara rushes to go find her father, who then they rush back to the igloo but by that point they were too late the soldier had killed kaya and left and then i like how rather than show us a dead body on screen they open up the igloo and then it like fades to white and then just like you're able Mm -hmm. to glean from that that katara's mother has passed away yeah they do a good job of not having to say too much uh especially Mm -hmm. because like we see the story from three different perspectives uh and i and i like that we don't have like you know, a ton, a ton of like, uh, you know, small, like, I don't know, vignettes that take up a ton of the episode. Instead, we just get like really quick stories. They're really efficient with their storytelling here. Uh, so I, yeah. I appreciated that. I agree. I like the pacing of this episode, even though they're telling like multiple different stories. It's like you don't feel whiplash in between from scene to scene mm-hmm. like you do in some episodes of season one. That is that is very true. Uh, yeah, it helps that they're also really only telling one story. I mean, they tell it a few times from different perspectives, but there really is just one story after the initial fight in the beginning of the episode. That's true. Here. I incorrectly said it was multiple stories. You're right. It's really just one story. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we see this whole like uh, encounter uh, from Katara's perspective. We go back. Uh, we get to the ship. We get the Sea Raven uh, flag, so we know it's the Southern Raiders. Uh, and then, boom, Katara says something that really just could shake you to her core in the most determined way possible. She's just like, let's do this. And it's like, all right, like, you know, things are going poorly when she's like that locked in. Yeah, it's like that moment in a, in a movie or a TV show where like you hear a character say something like that, like, let's do this. And then the music gets all hype and you're like, oh, crap, stuff's going down now for real. So it was an exciting moment when you saw when I, you saw Katara say that. That's that's very true. And like the way that she it, like starts wrecking the ship is like she starts water whipping people almost immediately. She has waves almost engulf the entire ship and like wash people like completely over the side. Uh, and then anyone who's left, she's just like destroying with water. I mean, just all of the amount of efficiency that she shows here would have made so many earlier fights boring. I Like, I kind of like that she just, like, you can tell, like, when she's mad, she just goes, like, full tilt mode and just, like, demolishes everyone. Yeah, not only is she efficient, she's also just absolutely ferocious. She's, like, waterbending with, like, a violence about her that we haven't seen prior to this, I feel like. Yeah, yeah that's that's for sure true. Zach, while, uh, while you were talking earlier, I was looking up uh, other members of that Lakers team so I could try to make references to more of them. There really aren't <laughs> that many good people on the team. No, there's like, I see Dennis Fox Rodman who- played with them for a bit. Yeah, there's Rick Fox who acted of in like a bunch of Tyler Perry movies, so there's him. Yeah. And then that's pretty much it. It's not a very like it's a pretty top heavy team with just those two guys, the Shaq and Kobe. Yeah, well when you have two generational talents, it's probably pretty hard to, you know, have like a real deep bench. Uh yeah. But um Anyway, I was I was hoping to make references. I don't know a ton about basketball, but I was hoping I'd be able to make like a few before you catch on. But I just, I couldn't even. Uh, as soon as I saw the names, it's like, uh oh, I don't know these people. 
if anyone, the well, Glenn Rice was a really good three point shooter for them. So if anybody has like a sick shot or like something cool in that regard, you could be like, oh, that was a nice shot, just like Glenn Rice, like like guitars water whip. Yeah, there you go. You made one. There you go. With my with help, Glenn Rice of water whips. <laughs> I'm sure Katara would be happy with that nickname, the Glenn Rice of water whips. <laughs> <laughs> it's high praise, you know. Um, uh, not sure I could tell you a single fact about Glenn Rice otherwise, but hey, there. that's that's all you need. Let's see. Yeah. I'm looking about. Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay. I think I might have even seen him before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was Look pretty solid on, like, Charlotte and the Lakers, I think. Yeah. Wow. Did you know, Zach, that he made 1,559 three-pointers during his 15-year career? That is quite a lot. Yeah, that puts him... I don't know if he's top 10 all time, but he's close, I think. Well, I bet we could find it out. Uh, I don't know for- if the listeners care too much about Glenn Rice's three-points. <laughs> as mu- as enjoyable as this conversation is for me, I feel like we've already had too much sports talk today. Okay, just really quickly, do you know who's number one? Uh, Ray Allen. Yeah, I really thought it, Seth Curry was number Steph's one. Steph's going to pass him in like uh, three games, pretty much. Oh, in three games? Yeah, or in like three good games or like four or five like bad Steph games. He's going to pass. Wow, I should start watching so I can see when he passes them. Uh, Last I checked, he was like 27 threes away or something when I was watching Golden State play the other night. So that's not that like he he can get nine threes in a game like he's that good. So he's done it multiple times. I have some bad news for you. What's up? Glenn Rice is 34th on the list all time. Oh, 34th. Okay, so not even close. Yeah, even people like Trevor Ariza are ahead of him. <laughs> That's pretty depressing now, Trevor Ariza. When I, used, when I used to play 2K all the time, I would love to play with the Rockets because Ariza was on that team. And I would always just start shouting, a Ariza! <laughs> and people would get so annoyed with me because I would brick like half the shots. But every time I'd shoot with him, even if it was like a two, I would say a Threeza every time. A Threeza, that's a dope nickname. Sounds like Frieza from DBZ. Sick. Yeah, well, it did not help his shooting percentages, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, uh, okay, Katara, Glenn Rice's them all, uh, knocks them all out with with pinpoint accuracy. Um, then they make their way to the top of the ship, uh, and Zuko gets them, uh, gets Katara ready, says, like, all right, are you ready to face him? Katara's like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, or just like gets, gets ready for it. They burst into the room. Uh, you know, Zuko starts firebending, deflecting away some attacks. Uh, anyway, Zuko then starts saying, like, do you, like, remember her? Um, and then Katara, makes the move and starts bloodbending him. And the shock look on Zuko's face is pretty priceless because Zuko's like, wait, what? That's crazy. Which I thought was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Zuko initially looks horrified upon witnessing this. He just looks absolutely shocked and gobsmacked by seeing Katara bloodbend. And this is the first time we see Katara bloodbend of her own volition too, or like doing it when she actually wants to do it and not because she absolutely has to do it. Yeah, and I thought this was like a really good way to show how emotionally charged this is for her because she was so against bloodbending and it like broke her to her core to have to bloodbend even when it was like 
her own safety and the safety of her friends at risk last time. But here, with no hesitation, she starts bloodbending and, like, forces this man in, into submission. Uh, and then, like, you know, forces him to look her in the eyes. Uh, he makes eye contact with her, and Katara realizes it's not him. Yep, and then the guard in question lets them know that they're probably looking for Yan Ra, who retired four years ago. So they go, and then how are they even able to find Yan Ra? Did this guard just like spill the beans on Yan Ra's exact location and proximity? Like, I mean, that's what it seems like, yes. And also, okay, this guard is like pretty mean because the guard did not have to give away the correct information of who this, who the person is. Like, they wouldn't have been able to tell that he was lying if he was lying, because they don't have Toph there. They don't have the human lie detector cheat code. I think he was just so scared for his life, and then the sensation of, like, being blood-bent, because I'm just putting myself in his shoes. If I'm, like, can't even control my body, I have some lady in front of me who's just controlling my limbs and has me in submission, I would um, definitely be horrified and just want to spill the beans and just for my safety at that point in time. Okay, that's uh, you. You make a great point. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. have any. I was ready to like argue against it, but you make a good point. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, we see this uh, this Fire Nation like Navy commander. He was, you know, large and in charge. Uh, now he's just gardening with his mom, really on his case. Zach, before we get too far into this, I would love to know what would your ideal retirement look like. Hmm, that's a good question. Ideally, I have um, a lot of money to retire with, first and foremost. That's always nice. And then, I don't know, somewhere like somewhere in like the suburbs, just like in a nice big house away from the city, just all by myself. That's what I would like. Just a chill, lackadaisical, nice living time. How about yourself? What's your ideal retirement? Do you want to like go off into the uh, forest somewhere or something crazy like that? I think I would like to be, I think I would like to retire in the city. I think I would like to like, you know, have things going on and like, you know, volunteer at like some, I don't know, school or something. Like, I think I'd like to be in like the hustle and bustle to keep myself busy. I- ideally, it'd be like a city that has some like nature nearby, but I, I wouldn't mind retiring in a city. That's fair. At least, our, hopefully, our retirements go better than Yan Ross, who's being scolded by his even like older mother, who says the tomatoes from his garden are too hard for her gums. She yells at him to go to the market, and this is like the beginning of like a little thing here where Yan Ross is later on going to offer his mother to Katara as like an eye for an eye and say he, he can she can kill his mother, which is awful. And like he, it shows like what a pathetic man he is that he would even stoop to that level, but. It's kind of like morbidly hilarious at the same time. Yeah, I thought that was a great joke uh, when he ends up doing that. His mom's a real piece of work. His mom kind of sucks. You know, she's like, you know, okay, Jan Ra, he's sitting there. He's gardening. He is really putting his effort into that garden. And she just doesn't care at all. She's like, you know, oh, your, your fruits are bad. Go buy me some real food. Like, I don't know. This guy is like, he's worked like a long time as a Fire Nation, uh, you know, admiral or commander or whatnot. And now I'm sure he wishes he was back in the army. He's getting made fun of <laughs> by his own mother. Yeah, true. Yen Ross kind of got a sad, pitiful existence at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he goes to the market, he buys vegetables like to begin with. So it's like, 
He's like when she says real food, she doesn't mean like not vegetables. She just means not his vegetables, which is like even more disrespectful. True, true. You're right. It's um, just straight disrespect from Yan Ra's mother here. Yeah, really too bad. Um, but anyway, after he goes to the market, uh, he starts walking behind uh, and he starts to notice something like a little fishy's going on. I really thought that this was pretty impressive uh, by him. Like ultimately he doesn't know exactly where the people are, but he's able to pick up that something's going on very early on. Yeah. There's a theory where like humans can feel themselves being watched. And in this moment in time, Yan Rogers knew someone was watching him from the shadows. Yeah. I just don't believe that because I feel like someone could watch me and like, I like, unless they're like literally next to me, I feel like I'd be totally oblivious. I would too, but I don't know. I've just heard that before. So maybe like there's some superhuman individuals that are just on another plane of existence compared to you or I who are able to sense people staring at them. Cause I agree with you. I would not necessarily notice myself, but I've heard that theory before. I think Brad mentioned it on survivor this year of how like prey you can't watch it. Mm-hmm. Cause it'll sense being watched. So yeah oh yeah that's because when he hidden the thing he didn't look at them he like closed his eyes or something yeah okay we're really gonna trust that guy for our our, like uh, science fact zach that's who we're going with i've I've heard i've heard it uh other places as well but i just remember him saying that on survivor yeah but you're right right. i shouldn't trust brad the cow no i'm not trusting him one bit uh, anyway, Yan Ra clearly does have this like sixth sense type thing. He feels that people are coming up behind him. Uh, so he turns around, and he starts burning a tree. Now, I don't know what like the whole like firefighters look like in the Fire Nation. Uh, but I have to assume that like if people are just burning down trees like this, like they have to have someone on call ready to go or else like forest fires are going to be a real problem. You know, what's crazy. He burns down this tree while it's raining. He must have some super powerful flames here because it's raining and he's able to engulf this tree in flames. Yeah, that I didn't even realize that how impressive it is that he overcomes the the like pretty big downpour. But anyway, uh, yeah, so he burns on the bush. Then Zuko pops out and he says, we weren't behind the bush. It's like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) If you were behind the bush, then like you would be burned. I Like, great. Thanks, Zuko. And all the time doing this podcast, I don't think I've ever heard you say no shit. I don't know why that just made me laugh. You were so, like, matter of fact. That was just hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Like, of course they weren't behind the bush. Like, it's absolutely... It's just like, it's like, yeah, like, okay, you beat him. Like, why do you have to stunt on him? Like, I I don't know why. I just, I felt it exceptionally rude that Zuko said that, so... Um, (laughs) Oh, fair. Anyway, uh, yeah, so then, like, you know, they start they start doing this. Yan Ra's, like, thinks he's getting mugged. So he's like, hey, just take my money, like, whatever you want. Like, you know, it's all yours, uh, which is very reasonable. But Katara's like, no, do you know who I am? Uh, and then she says, you better remember me. Like, your life depends on it. Uh, and it's like, all right, like, I trust that she's going to kill him if he doesn't remember. Like, that's, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Katara in this episode just goes into a next level crazy yeah she's just super intense this whole episode mm-hmm. and i i like it because then right now we're gonna see her she's able to relieve herself of these tense emotions and move past it so i thought this episode was a great growth little growth arc for Kitaro just in the span of one episode yeah yeah i i, I agree 
before we get that, we get this, uh, this scene from Jan Ra's perspective. Um, so we see first Katara's mom, Kaya say like, Hey, uh, you know, let her go, I'll give you the information or one. And we see, uh, Jan Ra say, okay, get out of here. All this we had seen before. Then, uh, we get the next part of the scene where Jan Ra, we realize is coming to try to find who the last waterbender is. There's rumor. There's one more waterbender. We know that the last waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe is Katara, uh, but obviously they don't have the full deets on who it is. Uh, yeah, I thought this was pretty clever by Katara's mom here. Uh, Kai does a good job to try to give Yanra what he wants in a way that keeps most people safe. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think by uh, Kaya here saying that she was the waterbender? It's quick thinking on her part, and she's assuming that she's just going to get taken away to prison. But unfortunately, Yan Ra reveals that he isn't taking any prisoners today and presumably strikes her down. So sadly, it was some quick thinking before her untimely demise, but she ends up kicking the bucket regardless. Yeah, I mean, okay, to be fair, most times where people should be killed, like uh, in the Avatar universe, they are just taken prisoner. There are very few prisoners, relatively speaking, in the Avatar universe. So, like, it's a pretty positive EV play that Kaya has by saying, like, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's me. Take me as prisoner. I kind of wonder if the reason why they don't take her as prisoner is because, like, there's, like, rumors of, like, a bloodbending prisoner who made their way out. So now they don't want waterbenders in prison anymore. Yeah, true. I wonder, yeah, had Hama already escaped by this point? Probably. She has to have. At this point, she definitely did. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. So she's probably the reason why they start killing all the waterbenders. Yeah. That's so, a, good, that's a like, good theory. Yeah, I mean, it really sucks um, that that's, that's how it goes here. But um, yeah, that, that probably is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so there you go. Yan Ra strikes her down. Uh, we go back to the present day where Yan Ra, like, clearly, he's like, he's very, uh, worried as he should be. Uh, but like, you can really see the terror in his face. And I have to say, he did not age well. I feel real bad for the guy because he looks awful in present day. Well, yeah, the stress of having his mom complaining about his garden, having his, like, sad, like, pitiful-looking garden. Yeah, of course he didn't age well. He just aged like crap. Yeah. Uh, and then Katara gets a great reveal where she is able to say, like, oh, you know, uh, she lied to you. She was protecting the last waterbender, me. And she does, like, just some crazy amounts of waterbending here. Like, some really confusing stuff, honestly. So, first, uh, she, like, takes all of the water and, like, creates a, like, bubble around them or something. Almost like a dome is what I... I thought it was, like, a dome of sorts. Like, a water dome. To what end? Like, why? I don't know. Yeah, couldn't she have just turned the rain into icicles right away? I don't know why. Yes. Maybe she has to have... Maybe she has to have a large swath of water to turn into icicles. Hmm. Well, the impressive thing is, like, when it was raining, she just decides to, like, stop all rain. Uh, But then she makes this, like, weird dome thing, and then she sends all of the water at his face in these, like, daggers, uh, and they they stop, like, right in front of his face. And, like, that's going to be nerve-wracking to, like, have the, like, oh, I'm about to die, and then just, like, nothing happened. 
Yeah, I mean, both the Fire Nation Guard earlier and Yon-Ra here, I would not want to be put in their shoes on the brink of death about to be killed by Katara. So, yeah, I've, I felt for them for in that sure. moment, or at least I felt like a little tiny bit of sympathy for them. I was <laughs> like, damn, they're about to get murked here. Yeah, the bare minimum of sympathy. Exactly. Um, anyway, so then this is when uh, he's like, oh, just take my mom, you know, let's make it even an eye for an eye. Uh, you know, <laughs> just, just go ahead, just do it for me. Uh, anyway, uh, so Katara says, like, uh, you know, she essentially just, like, stunts on him. She, like, insults him for a little bit. Uh, and then she says, like, as much as I hate you, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and yeah, then we see like the, okay, for some reason, this smile that Yan Ra has just pisses me off because after Katara says like, oh, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to kill you. He lets off a smirk as if he's won or something. And it's like, no, you only won because Katara let you win or like, let you go. Like you did not do anything in in this case. Yeah. It's not like he used any like quick thinking to get out of it or anything like that. So you're absolutely yeah. right. He didn't do anything impressive here. He's lucky he escaped with his life, quite frankly. Indeed. Um, anyway, uh, Katara goes back, uh, to the rest of the group now. Okay. I was actually really confused by how the scene worked because the first thing that Aang says is Zuko told me what you did. But I don't really understand why Aang didn't talk to Katara initially. Like, I don't get the timeline here. Did I miss something or is it just like a little unclear? Um, no, I didn't get the timeline either because you like seen them fly in on Appa and then Katara's like already like kind of on the docks by herself. So it was odd. I agree with you. It was a yeah. little disjointed. Well, anyway, Katara here says that. Uh, you know, she wanted to. She wanted to kill the guy. She wanted to take out her anger, but she couldn't do it. Um, yeah, she, then Aang tries to say that like, you know, forgiveness is the, is the right option. And Katara says, I will never forgive him. Uh, but she will forgive Zuko. And so then the two hug. Yeah. And it's nice. Her feelings for, excuse me. It's nice. Her feelings for Zuko. have come to like a head here and she's able to move past the trauma she had with him earlier Mm. and they're able to actually become friends. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Uh, but I just have to say, like, the ship does not make sense. Like, those two in a relationship, it it makes no sense here at all. Uh, so I just don't get it. Like, and this is, like, typically, I think, an episode where people say, like, oh, like, you can, like, see it a little bit. But, like, I just, I don't. Yeah, I've never seen Zutara. I talked to Audrey about this on her first appearance. It's just Zutara is not my thing. I never thought yeah. they had any chemistry, so. Well, you know, with all due respect to Audrey, Zutara is dead to me. Felipe is um, big into Zutara too, if I recall correctly. Well, with all respect to him as well, I I'm not doing it. I just I, I can't <laughs> uh, I can't get on board. Can't co-sign. Uh, anyway, then we start. Uh, we end this episode with like a pretty good point from Zuko here, uh, because Aang says violence is never the answer, and Zuko says, "All right, then what are you going to do when you face my father?" Uh, to which Aang's like, oh, didn't consider that. <laughs> yeah, and then the episode just ends with like a forlorn shot of Aang just looking all sad. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Uh, and there you go. That's the episode. Really, like, uh, this episode kind of flies by, uh, especially when recapping it for a few reasons. One, because there's just one story, really. So, like, uh, there's not a ton of different, like, you know, different things to cover. But two, it's, like, kind of serious. Like, the whole episode is built around the premise of, like, when is it right to get revenge? Like, can you let things go? And, like, all of the action really flies by, and you're just left with these, like, deep character moments, which, uh, you know, are quick to recap. So, a pretty fast recap from us, Zach. True. This might be our shortest podcast in a long time. And I, I co-sign everything you just said. It's very true. Also, that battle at the beginning of at the top of the episode kind of makes it so that the episode goes by even faster. Yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, but a good episode uh, nonetheless. Yeah, so, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think like Katara's just overall feelings about her mother passing away and her dealing with that trauma and grief. I thought it was very powerful stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that is uh, that is true. Uh, but you know, we're here. Uh, let's go ahead and rank some episodes. Uh, let's do some segments. Uh, we'll start off with the episode ranking. So, as a brief reminder, every week we rank the episode between zero and four cabbages. We take my ranking, Zach's ranking, and the listeners' ranking to get the official ang in their ranking. Zach, we'll start with you, as we do most times. How do you want to start us this week on the rank, Zach? Uh, hmm. I'm going to give this a 3.65 out of 4. I was debating between 3.6 and a 3.7, so I'm just going to split the difference. I thought this was an enjoyable episode. It had good action. It had the relationship of Zuku and Katara, the platonic relationship, and how their feelings were all complicated, and uh, Katara dealing with the passing of her mother and confronting Yan-Ra. I thought there was a lot to enjoy in this episode. And we get some like amazing bending, too. Just Katara's waterbending this episode was absolutely wild. I loved like seeing her bend on that ship. Like There's a scene we didn't talk about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where this guy's like telling a story. He's like, Oh yeah, so then I did this and that. And then you just see him get like water whipped off screen and just fly away. And I was like, damn, yeah. Katara, that's badass. So I really enjoyed this episode. So for that reason, I'm giving it a 3.65 out of four. Yeah, you know, I'm also somewhere between that 3.6, 3.7 range. I'm gonna go with the 3.6 myself. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I think that like so the beginning part of the episode's pretty cool. I think, like, the fighting that we have uh, between Azul and Zuko is, like, fun. It's at least, like, very high stakes. It's not the best fight that they have, uh, but it is quite exciting. Um, yeah, but I think it's it's an A. Uh, it's not, like, much better than that. Uh, the listeners are just ever so slightly under me at a 3.58, leaving the overall episode at a 3.61, with all three of us in a really tight range. Or th- all three of us, but, like, my score, your score, listener score all in quite a tight range, all close to that 3.6 value. True. We're not usually this close in our scores, but hey, we're all in agreement that this is a solid episode of Avatar, so that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah this is uh, this is one that we can definitively say is a 3.61. No jokes here. Uh, should we rank some of the battles? I think we definitely should rank the battle at the beginning. I'm not really sure the battle on the ship uh, where Katara just like takes everyone out in like 15 seconds is worth ranking but I'll leave it up to you. I enjoyed it, but I don't think it's worth ranking either myself, especially like these one-sided right. battles that are just like domination on one side. I don't ever think are worth ranking really, but Hey, yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, do you want to rank the, uh, beginning battle though? Sure. I'll give it, um, hmm. you want to start with the ranking here? 
Sure. I'm not like, I don't think it's doing anything too great. Uh, you know, I'm going to give it a 2.8. Um, it's not a bad, but like, I don't know, like in the grand scheme of battles in Avatar, it's like not a ton. Like it's not, it's not anything revolutionary. I'll give it a little higher. I'll go for three. I didn't remember. I like, I, I'll be honest. I didn't remember this battle at all coming into this episode, but there were some cool things. Azula, right after she delivers the line of, I'm about to become an only child. She does like this fire bending, like drop kick. That was really cool. And then we have a uh, Zuko's like huge leap where he's like 20 feet and he's just like jumps and starts blasting fire. So there were some cool moments in this fight. And then when they both trade like hooks and have the big <laughs> explosion that doesn't damage the ship for some odd reason. So, so for those reasons, I'll give it a three out of four. Not bad. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, leaving the battle at a 2.9. Um, cool. That's what that's, I think, all the segments that we have this week, Zach, unless there's like a T quartet that we, uh, you know, could do. Uh, no, there's no do... random T quartet that we strung together like 10 minutes before the podcast. So, <laughs> Or even 10 minutes into the podcast, which those are my favorite. No time to prepare there. Um, anyway, maybe we should do a brief programming note just so everyone's aware of our schedule the next few weeks. Uh, so, you know, we're really uh, barreling towards the finale. Next week, we'll be talking about the Ember Island players. That episode will be coming out on the 15th. Then we have a four-part finale. Instead of doing four different episodes, we're going to break them up into two chunks. One and two will be on the 22nd of December, and three and four will be on the 29th of December. So there you go. Uh, I would say just send in your feedback if you have it for the finale, like whenever you get to it. Uh, and like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll probably record that last episode early. So definitely get your feedback in for the finale uh, whenever you can. I have a question. Are we going to, when we're rating the episode, are we going to rate like each episode of the finale or like each half of the finale? What do you want to do in that regard? Let's do the half. I think, yeah, let's do the half and let's have people send in scores for episode one and two combined. Or if you send in individual scores, I'll just average them up as I've done in the past. Okay, we'll do that then. Sure. Sweet. Well, there you go. Uh, we really are almost done here with uh, this Avatar journey. Uh, it's been quite fun to podcast about it. I'm, I'm getting a little sad that, you know, we're almost out of Avatar The Last Airbender to talk about. I know. I feel like Frank Sinatra. And now the end is near. And so we face our final curtain. It's sad. We're wow. coming to an end. Yeah. I didn't expect to be serenaded uh, in the <laughs> podcast, but... There you go. For the people sticking around to hear our recap, you can get a nice little serenade by hey. uh, Uncle Zach. Uncle Zach, soothing songs to end the night. Indeed. Uh, well, if you want to sing me a lullaby, Zach, I'm going to go to bed. So uh, if you want to just sing me to sleep, that'd be great. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week to talk about the Ember Island players, a.k.a redoing every single thing we've done going over the entire series in one episode as the Ember Island players does. Yeah. I'm excited to get into the Ember Island players. One of my favorite episodes of season three, for sure. Just an absolute classic. I love the tough actor or whatever. That's just the mm -hmm. giant man screaming. So I'm excited to get into all of that. Yeah. If I had to, per if I just had to guess based on like the episodes that we go most off the rails with, I have to imagine that next week's episode is just going to be wild because there's so many tangents that'll pop up uh, that I'm sure we're going to have quite a good time. 
Yeah, I think next this has been a shorter one. I think next week's episode is going to be a longer one unless we're recording hello late. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. I think even still, we'll have lots of different tangents to go down. Uh, mm-hmm. But until next week, that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for coming along the ride with us. We can hang in there, and so can you. Peace out, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>